Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. I'm Trevor Maxwell. I'm a stage four colon cancer survivor, and I've got a message for other men. You don't have to go through this alone. What does it mean to man up to cancer? It means reaching out instead of isolating. It means having the courage to accept help along the way. To me, manning up isn't just about being tough. It's about knowing that we're stronger and smarter as a pack than we are as lone wolves. There we go. Oh, salt and pepper. Who can forget? <laughs> we are talking about sex today. It's going to be amazing. This has been a topic I've wanted to get into for a long time. Welcome to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. Today is cancer, sex, and intimacy, something that we know you want to hear about, but you're afraid to ask about. So we had to bust out some 90s salt and pepper there, right, Kellen? Just to get us in that that saucy mood. If you were from the 90s, that was like that song that, you know, they actually were talking about sex. Finally, it took it took the girl power to actually say, hey, let's talk about this. Yeah, and it's still in process. It's still in process. <laughs> Thank you, Salt and Peppa, for our little musical introduction. So let's talk about sex. Where do we begin? Where do we begin to navigate this minefield of taboo subjects in cancer land? Is it possible to maintain or regain a fulfilling sex life during cancer treatment and beyond into survivorship? If any topic calls for an expert, this is the one. Yeah, we are not experts and we're happy to have one today. Thank goodness. Fortunately, we do have one. Dr. Sharon Bober. Uh, Dr. Bober is director of the sexual health program at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston, Mass. Go Boston. Uh, The program provides education, consultation, and counseling for patients and their partners who have experienced changes in sexual health during and after cancer treatment. Dr. Bober, thank you for being here. Men everywhere need your help. (laughs) I'm happy to be with you guys today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Nice to be here. So uh, we talked briefly uh, before the taping, we talked a while back about men and cancer and sex and intimacy. Let's talk about something you mentioned was this stereotype was that, you know, men talk about sex all the time, right? Um, But do we really talk about it? Start there. What do you think about that subject? Or I would say, do we really talk about it? Or is what we talk about really real? You know, Um, I think that uh, there's a very big difference between talking about sex and talking about real sex. Um, And that's the case, I would say, in or out of cancer land. You know, that's a cultural craziness that we all... Um, kind of live with, which is that, you know, we live in a culture suffused with all kinds of talk and images that are sexual and graphic and and whatnot. Um, But I don't think most of it really reflects um, real people and real sexuality. Most of it is acting. Uh, So, you know, the fact is, uh, you know, when it comes to um, uh, you know, cancer or any kind of, you know, significant um, illness or changes to the body where people go through, you know, all kinds of alterations, mind and body, um, it's even more complicated mm. because our starting point is kind of artificial to begin with, if that makes sense, you know? It's yeah. Totally artificial starting point, which is, you know, the the guy talk around sex, which is, you know, if you listen to guys talk about sex, you know that they're doing it all the time and it's always great. And man, it is. Ladies just, are they, so satisfied. They, they, are, they are the best. And and man, if there's an actual problem, that certainly is not going to be on the table. Mm-hmm. But then cancer hits. And, you know, for many men, cancer is a sex and intimacy crusher. 
Um, they're often, as you mentioned, we're going to talk about a couple different things going on here, but they're often physical changes that affect functioning and libido, uh, medications, chemo, other treatments that can impact a patient's sex life long into survivorship. And then there's the emotional stuff, which we will get into impacting the way that a man sees himself, his sexuality, his ability to be intimate. That's something that I have experienced personally and struggled with. So let's just dive right in. Can you talk to us about what you do and what are some of the common issues around men and cancer that you see in your practice? Sure. Thanks for asking. So, well, let me just say that, you know, I think that partly what we know is that there's a big gap in care when it comes to sexual health, right? When, I mean, Mm. there are all kinds of side effects and what we call late effects from treatment that many of us are very aware of, right? Because we either have personal experience or very close experience, whether it's dealing with, you know, neuropathy, nausea, fatigue, chemo brain, all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, one of the things that is always, I think, striking to me is that sexual health, when we do surveys, let's just say, of, of cancer patients, uh, people with cancer and, and survivors, sexual health is always on the top of the, you know, maybe not the top of the list, but in the top several, you know, real quality of life issues that people are concerned about. And yet it does not always or often even make it into kind of clinical conversations um, in any routine way across the continuum of care, right? So right, right, right. so right there, there's a kind of a funny disconnect, you know, and, and you have to ask, what is it about sex that is taboo or different, right, in some way, because there are lots of other side effects that aren't, you know, particularly pleasant or fun. I mean, talk about colorectal cancer in particular, we all know that. And yet somehow all the issues around bowel dysfunction, I mean, tend to get talked about to some degree more than sexual function and sexual health. Absolutely. So I yep, just think yep. there's a kind of a weird disconnect there, which I, I'm not still totally sure I understand. Um, but but the fact is, it's true, right? I mean, we know there's a gap. And, you know, the other thing I'll just say is that in particular, uh, you know, I guess from colorectal cancer in particular, um, it's a real gap because compared to, let's say, other cancers, you know, for example, after prostate cancer, there is actually a, a pretty strong um, kind of uh, ubiquitous understanding that erectile function is going to be one of those things guys have to consider. And people kind of talk about it, maybe not enough, but there is a, a fair kind of amount of discussion around, you know, erectile function where I don't think you see that after colorectal cancer, right? So I just would say that that is something that I think for for colorectal cancer in particular is um, not on the radar, you know, and whether that is because uh, surgeons aren't comfortable about what to say or doctors don't get any training, you know, I think that there are probably a number of barriers to that. But we know that the majority of men after colorectal cancer have erectile dysfunction. We know that the majority actually of both men and women, right, after colorectal cancer are dealing with kind of long-term changes in intimacy and sexuality. Um, Also, body image is is a real pressing issue that people struggle with and often don't have anywhere to uh, kind of talk about that. Um, And I also will just add that it's not just about talking to your doctor or talking to somebody in the locker room. It's also about talking to your partner. You know, I Mm. think partners often aren't sure. Whoa, 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 wait. Sorry. 
Wait, we're we're supposed to talk to our partners about our sexual issues? Oh boy! Right, there you go. Well, I mean, you know, to your point, you know, if we don't talk about it under the best of circumstance, you know, it, lots of times with couples, you know, you don't talk about sex a whole lot because it's That's good right. enough, it works well enough, it feels a little embarrassing, so it things are fine. But the when the the apple cart gets upset and things are not fine, there's often not a history of of skills around how to communicate. Do you think that maybe potentially some of the conversation stops around these things with care of, you know, life-threatening illness and things like that? Because I think in some ways our society has looked at sex as like almost a superficial need and not an actual like thing that we need to stay mentally healthy, physically healthy, you know, like so that, you know, when there's care needs, is is there something that you see patients where it almost feels like an extra thing beyond what a full need is. Yeah, absolutely. And let me add on before you answer that is I hear this often from guys yeah. in the group who say, well, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm alive. Like it's not that, a priority. So, yeah, exactly. We just haven't prioritized that. We've just kind of forgotten that or put that in the right. past. Right, right. Well, I think we can all agree being alive is better than being dead. So let's start there, you know. And yeah. when people Agreed. say, you know, um, I'm glad to be alive. So, you know, I know maybe it's a high price to pay, but it's better than the alternative. I mean, we all agree, you know, it's it's a good yep. thing to be alive. But, but then if you go to the next step, which is to say, if I'm alive, you know, what are the kind right. of core components of quality of life? You mm-hmm. know, it's interesting your point that, well, maybe it's it shouldn't be um, considered a core component. You know, the WHO. Oh, no, I, I think it should yeah, be. Yeah, no, 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 just, no, no, yeah. but, but that, no, 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 that you said that, but that I, I agree. Yeah. That, but that's a kind of a, a cultural assumption. You know, what right. I was going to say is that in contrast, for example, you know, the WHO has a very clear consensus statement about sexual health and sexuality being part of uh, a human right, right? That's part of human yeah. experience across the lifespan that, you know, um, sexual function and sexual health is part of what makes us human, what makes us alive, right? Really from, across, again, ac- across our lifetime and whether that's where, par- whether we are partnered or not. You know, I think, right. I think your point gets to a point I make all the time, which is that if we can get outside of our understanding of sex, meaning are you able to have intercourse, right? But right. it's really about, it's a much more comprehensive experience that includes things like, how do I feel about myself? You know, how do I identify myself? Do I still feel like a man? Do I still feel like a lover? You know, do I still feel whole in my body? You know, Mm. um, do I still feel um, like I'm somebody who can give and receive pleasure? It's much more than just some physical action, right? Right. Um, Then I think it is part it is, I would say, one of the many, not only, but one of the core building blocks of, of human experience. Yeah, well said. So the audience for this show is, the, so, and the Man Up to Cancer audience in general, is men who are impacted by cancer of any type and also the, the people who care about them, including their partners or spouses. Um, so we have people in our Facebook group, our Howling Place Facebook group, men who have I, you know, I think we have pretty much every cancer mm. represented there. So, so just to remind you who's listening to this, but so it's hard to drill into, you know, we're trying to talk about sexual and intimacy issues that can relate to, you know, to most people going through cancer, but we do want to dive into some of those cancer specific sure, topics, sure. Um, you know, whether it be uh, prostate, um, sure. colorectal, testicular, whatever, whatever right. we want to dive into, but I do want to circle a little bit and ask you about your when. What are some of the main issues that people come see you for and are, are looking for help with? Oh, sure. Thank you. Well, so so I will say that um, sex 
uh, sort of sexual dysfunction after cancer is common, and it's not only from a genital cancer, right? Yes. So just yep. to say that, for example, you know, uh, guys who go through bone marrow transplant, you know, the majority of guys who go through bone marrow transplant struggle with erectile dysfunction, loss of desire, long term. Um, yeah, head and, and neck thank you cancer, for saying that. Head and neck cancer, you know, yep. and try making out with someone if you don't have any saliva, <laughs> you know, it's a problem, right? So there are things that I think sometimes don't get any attention at all, you know, and really need to be um, considered. Um, yes, and that's a great point because people think cancer and sex issues and they, they go right to, right, like prostate cancer or a certain um, anatomy that's, you know, more often affected. But but I love what you're saying about, and and, and you see this, every, you know, day to day in your practice. We do. We see it day to day in our practice. Um, you know, I, I would say that certainly erectile dysfunction is something which is problematic for lots of guys across because a lot of different kinds of treatments, you know, and yep. so that's something that, um, you know, it's interesting. I work very closely, you know, when we think about erectile dysfunction, I'm a psychologist, right? So, you know, I work very closely with a urologist who does a kind of a, a, a sexual medicine piece, and we really work with men often collaboratively. And I say that because maybe I could just take a step back for a second to say that, you know, the way that I view and treat and, and, and work with this notion of sexuality is that it really is at the intersection of physical and emotional and relationship factors, right? And then throw in culture on top of that. It is really at, at the intersection of that. And the way that we think about that, we call that a biopsychosocial model, right? It is not just because of hormones. It is not just about blood flow to your penis. It's really at the center of all of those things. So, you know, if you have a great relationship with your partner um, and there's something going on physically that's getting in the way, obviously at a mechanical level, we have to deal with that. But, you know, for example, erectile dysfunction Function, um, you know, we can often um, maybe come up with a, a number of strategies that might help a guy get an erection, but that doesn't necessarily address the kind of discomfort that might come from communicating with your partner if you've never talked about this or mm -hmm. the experience around um, feeling damaged in some way in terms of self-esteem and body image. You know, I do think that um, it's really important to take a big picture view around sex because to get things back on track, it's usually or often not only a mechanical issue, right? But it's also as much about how we think and feel and how we connect with our partner that has to get addressed. I'm laughing because it's so spot on. Totally agree. And I'm just laughing because sometimes, and I've learned this in a lot of areas of cancer, but sometimes cancer is actually the event or the thing that happens to a man that forces him to deal with some of the things that maybe he should have been dealing with decades ago that, but because when, you, you know, uh, dealing with these issues around body image, self, self image, intimacy, uh, feeling whole when it comes to being a sexual and intimate person are things that men in general don't do very well at cancer or not. So for some people who have cancer, I think this is a great opportunity to actually open that door and really learn more about yourself and become a better man. Yeah, I I mean I I agree with you totally. You know, I I really I'm not one to talk about the what is it lemonade out of lemons kind of person when it comes to cancer. I sort of hate sure. that, but let me right, just say right. um <laughs> I I do often say to people um, this is an opportunity, right, to expand yes. your repertoire, to enhance your relationship, to broaden your experience around sexuality. And I think what you're saying is exactly right. Well, and, and look, I mean, it's the circumstance, right? 
like, yes, I totally am not a, a, lem- a lemonade from lemons person either, especially early on in my cancer. I was like, fuck that. Like, this is all suck. But now it's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is my circumstance. I can't go back to the Trevor before cancer, mm-hmm. no matter how much I might want to. So I better start thinking about how I can improve and be the best Trevor I am now in this cancer experience. So yeah, if you could keep talking a little bit about some of the scenarios you see or some of the the issues that come up, maybe I know that they're all connected, but maybe talk a little bit about the physical things that that men experience with sure, their cancer journey. Sure. Well, certainly, let me just say that you know if anyone goes through any kind of um, cancer treatment where there is um, surgery. Um, pelvic surgery or pelvic radiation that is going to directly interfere with um, nerves or blood flow to penile tissue, there's a very good chance that people are going to be dealing with some kind of erectile dysfunction. And that, you know, again, many kinds of treatments, many kinds of cancers, but have that in common. Um, The the piece that I think um, mechanically is often um, uh, not really sort of understood well is that, well, because we have Viagra, right, because there's that little blue pill out there, and there really is not an equivalent for women um, for lots of reasons. But the idea is that, you know, when guys have ED, you know, now the kind of low-hanging fruit is you say, oh, try, you know, take a pill. Um, the the big issue I often see in our, in our clinic is that, you know, guys have tried a, the little blue pill, right, whether that's uh, yep. Viagra, Cialis, whatnot, um, and it doesn't work. Right, because the fact is, often a oral pill, PD five inhibitor, um, if you've had some kind of, um, you know, scarring, nerve damage issues, or, you know, after um, sort of surgery, um, then then people feel even more damaged, right? Because it's like you tried it, it didn't work, and I think that often guys end up feeling kind of doubly damaged. They feel like, yeah, okay, yeah. I tried it, doesn't work, and you give up. If there's not a real space or place to be able to talk about that with a partner, you sort of just avoid the whole thing because it feels easier than dealing with it because you're thinking, well, I don't want to start something I can't finish or what's the point? I mean, I'd love to be able to talk even about some of those assumptions, right? Like I hear that all the time. I don't want to start something I can't finish, meaning that, you know, if if we start fooling around and somebody gets kind of into it and then I'm not going to be able to get an erection, what's the point with the Mm -hmm. assumption being that my partner's, you know, not going to be satisfied? I mean, again, little secret there, you don't, need an erect penis to satisfy a partner, but you know, um, just put, and that, put that little note in your yep. head, Dr. Burwood, that we are going to come, we are absolutely going to come <laughs> we'll get, back to we'll that, get back to in, that. In part, um, especially in part two of our series yeah, here. Right. But you know, I, I think that there's all kinds of ways in which things then get kind of derailed because there's a lot of avoidance, right. When it's something that feels frustrating, um, you know, from the ED perspective, from a mechanical point of view, there actually are a number of additional kinds of treatments that we can use that can help a guy get an erect such as a penile injection therapy. Um, People can mechanically use a device called a vacuum erection pump. Um, You know, there are all kinds of ways to get blood flow to the penile tissue. So, you know, again, that's a mechanical issue, right? That people often don't have the information about that. So I think that's one piece. And then the other piece even related to that is that lots of times people don't get any coaching around it or help. So it's like you might read something or see something, but if it feels like, you know, the activation energy is very high for something that's like, seems kind of weird or different. You've never tried it. You don't know how it works. You're not sure what it's going to be like. You know, we need to normalize this stuff. We need to get guys a lot more information. We need to give people coaching and support along the way, right? So how do people end up in your office? Is it 
partners that bring them in or is it the men themselves who or the urologists or the or, or urologists other doctors so you know i've been doing this at dana farber now for a pretty long time and i would say all of the above you know sometimes people hear me give a talk or they see something on a website or they've read something online, you know, sometimes again, comes directly from a doctor or a patient. But, you know, I think often I'm just struck by the fact that, you know, patients don't initiate this conversation with their medical team often because they're not sure how. Um, The assumption is that if the medical team doesn't bring it up, it's probably nothing that they can, it's something that you can't really deal with. So you get to that place of saying, well, it's better than the alternative. So I just have to live with it. You know, often there's not a lot of conversation there. And when that's the case, you know, my, my biggest concern for folks is that there is help available. There is support. Things can be better. And if you don't know what you don't know. So sometimes couples or partners or, you know, people just end up kind of giving up on this aspect of their life. Um, because they're not sure what to do about it. Right. And, and again, stay tuned. Part two, we're going to get more into some solutions and some ideas on where to start. I do want to get into more of the emotional side of sexual difficulties during cancer. But before I do, if you could just speak kind of directly to, to those guys in our audience who are, no matter what cancer they have or no, no matter where they are on their journey, if they are feeling defeated or struggling or just feeling um, maybe alone in their own sexual problems, could you reassure them that they are absolutely not alone and that you know how many men out there in cancer land are going through the same thing? A hundred percent. Let me just say, not only are you not alone, but um, you really should not be so sure that you would not be a desirable partner or companion for someone yes, else, right? love that. Because the reality is that um, your capacity to give and receive pleasure, your capacity to be a man, to be a lover, to be a partner is not defined only by a body part or by capacity to get an erection the way you did when you were a kid. Like there's, it's just a much bigger experience than that. Um, and, and the thing that really um, recurrently strikes me is that guys often assume that because they've gone through this experience and there is something different or, or damaged or altered, that nobody's going to want to be with them, right? Um, and, and that's just not true. It's not true. Yeah. And it sounds like from what you were saying earlier that some of these alternatives that could be really helpful or at least to be talked about, you know, going there in talking about them that people haven't heard about them. So they do automatically feel alone or they feel like there's a stigma attached to it. You know, we're like Viagra, Cialis, like that is out in the world. People know about that. And so if they're hit the phase where they feel like hopeless, they might be feeling even more isolated because they've not heard about all of the things that are possible. Right. The other thing I just to say is that, you know, when we think about what mature sexuality is, right, when we think about what, you know, good sex is between grownups, right, it is so much more than just the 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 very narrow act of whether you can have intercourse, right? There are so many yeah. ways to be able to be connected and have a sexual experience or a sensual experience that is intense and pleasurable and connected. That's the stuff that never gets any billing, right? That's the stuff that never gets talked about. And there is so much pleasure and connection and sensuality to be had with or without an erection, right? Um, Really important. I just want to thank you. That I got a little emotional there when you were saying that message direct to the guys because they don't hear that. 
Mm. And that's the, that was the, those like 20 seconds right there. I'm going to clip that and share that with so many people because it's something they need to hear. I know for a fact that there's a lot of men out there going through cancer who feel that they're never going to be desirable again and that they're never going to desire again. And they feel um, just totally emasculated by that. So for you to tell them that it's not only possible, but it's definitely achievable for them is just such a powerful message. Thank you. Mm. I, you know, I, I just wish that we lived in a, a culture, a society that allowed us to have a kind of a more broad and mature understanding of what it is to be a sexual person, right? Because right. I think especially for men, our understanding around sex and sexuality has become so narrow, you know, yeah. that it, it 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 doesn't help anyone. And it certainly doesn't do any favor for, for men or women. I want to talk to you about sort of my emotions quickly on sort of what I've experienced with sex and intimacy. Um, because I can, I think I'm speaking for a lot of guys. So I had, you know, I'm still a active treatment for colorectal cancer. I've had colon surgery, two major liver surgeries in which I had a, a, you know, incisions all the way across my abdomen and all the way up to my breastbone. And physically for me, the, the recovery from those surgeries and going through those surgeries physically was definitely, definitely had an impact on my sex and intimacy life, obviously. Um, but that was very minor compared to the emotional. So I definitely felt I grappled with the loss of confidence and really felt emasculated in many ways as I went through chemo and surgeries and struggled with that loss of desire because of the way I felt about myself. And for quite some time, I didn't feel attractive or worthy of being wanted, even when my wife went out of her way to assure me. And and also the normal roles in our marriage were pretty much blown away because she had to take care of me and be even a nurse at sometimes, you know, changing drain drainage pouches and stuff like that. And, and, and so for me, it was like all the more reason to feel ashamed, like, because that was not a role when you're the spouse role and all of a sudden you become a caregiver care, someone who needs care roles, that's really difficult for intimacy. So it took a lot of communication, patience and effort by both of us to become comfortable and confident again in our sex life. And this is ongoing, you know, there's no you know, you don't snap your fingers and all of a sudden everything's, it, it's a work in progress. And I think that's the same for anyone, any couple, partner, partners, cancer or not. But I just, I wanted to share that so that my audience would hear a little bit about my feelings personally on my journey. And I guess I want to just ask you if that's um, a theme that I'm sure you've heard that before. I have. And I, I so appreciate you sharing that openly. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, the, it, even that point about what it is to all of a sudden be in the position of, of having to be nursed by your lover. Right. It's right, like, right. It, it doesn't feel sexy. It yeah, doesn't that, feel, you know, and, yeah. and, you know, what I al- always sort of, sort of say, which I, I think is true is that, you know, lots of couples have to kind of figure out, um, how to kind of date again, you know, it's like the idea that if you can't go back to what it was, then you just can't do anything, right? There's often this kind of, we have this sort of very black and white mentality around, you know, like, well, we tried it, we can't forget it, you know? And in some ways, what you're also describing is that, like, you have to kind of create a new experience together, right? Because it is, I want to acknowledge in in my my wonderful colleague and friend, Daniela Whitman at the University of Michigan often talks about this. Mm. You have to acknowledge the sense of loss and grief, right? That's also part of this. I'm not going to, you know, sit and pretend that everything is fine because it's not fine. You know, it's not fine. It's, it's, 
it's it's uh, right. it is real. It's intense. You have to figure out what the next chapter is. But to pretend everything is fine when it's not fine is artificial again, you know. And I think some of that for any couple may involve, a, you know, acknowledging a, a, a real sense of grief or loss that there are certain things that are not the same. And I also have to acknowledge that I'm fortunate because I have a, a spouse who was willing to be to work on it and to yeah. be patient and yeah. to put the effort in because I think that's not easy. Yeah. And and I was, you know, I've been a jerk at a lot, a lot of times <laughs> this because part of me just wants to push everyone that's close to me away because of the, the pain, you know. And fortunately, Sarah was like, <clears throat> you know, I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> and... Uh, but so I'm, I just wanted to say that, that I'm, I'm very fortunate. Yeah. And I mean, way. and that's a pretty normal reaction, right? There are times when, um, you know, the last thing you want to do is be physically closer, right? It's interesting too. I do think that, you know, there's also something about, um, and I don't mean about intercourse, but just about the physical closeness, right? Yeah. Of being sensual or sexual, even just lying and holding each yeah, other. It's very, exactly. it's very raw, right? It's very, it makes you feel very vulnerable, right? And, yes. and that's the other side of the coin that can feel uh, intense, you know? And, and when we are, um, you know, we have to be able to make space and hold space, right? To be able to maybe have a sensual and experience with our partner, which, you know, could be lighthearted, could be fun, but then the next minute could also you f- make you feel like you're about to cry, right? Because it's so intense. Um, well, and- I- yeah, yeah, there's absolutely. a line for sure, I think, with right. those emotions. And, yeah. and, and what I'm saying is, again, you know, the, the those moments aren't like what you see on TV, right? Like right. that's not in Bridgerton, you know? So <laughs> I, I think the, the, the thing is, you know, there has to be a way to be able to, you know, invite yourself and your partner to be able to kind of live in this kind of messiness and this intensity. But, man, I, but right? I can see why yeah. I can see why a lot of couples don't do that and why yeah. a lot of men in particular don't do that because man, that kind of vulnerability to <laughs> to really show yourself in that way is a challenge. It's a challenge and and not or I would um invite people to consider the other side of that, which is that if you allow yourself to walk through that door, um what you get you know, in terms expansion. of the expansion, the validation, the sense the of, of love, yeah. right? The sense of holding and intimacy is for many people more deep, so deeper, more intense than they've had before, right? Because it's so intense and so real. Do you feel that there's also new things that people look at themselves as sexual and not the same way that they were previously in the sense of the physical, like, you know, this is, I am not a man and I am not going through cancer, but I know that after, you know, having two children and those physical changes and that sexuality change that like, there's things now as I age that I find much sexier, much more intimate, much more, you know, that aren't the physical parts that I would have thought of in my twenties. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of speaking to the uh, you know, you're speaking to the also that idea that um, if what you're saying is, gosh, does sex change over time? Well, yeah. right. You <laughs> yeah. know, you know, uh, forget even just, you know, the cancer piece, right? Like right. just the idea that, um, you know, w- human beings, you know, 
think lots of things adapt and change as we as we mature, you know, and as we yeah. grow and as we age. And and again, going back to you know point number one, which is that every movie and every TV show, <laughs> you know, puts an image out there of what something sexual is going to be based on the you know projection of a twenty one year old boy or man. I know, you know? I really want it, her take on the Bridgerton. I want to yeah, okay. sexual but, health experts. Right, well, we're, we're actually we're gonna wrap it up. Yeah, yeah. We gotta wrap but, but, it up. But just to, but just to finish that point, that you know, yeah. again, if if you think about kind of some of the evolution that you're talking about, you know, between a couple after you go through some of these major changes, if what you're saying is that you have to then expand the repertoire and deepen your your experience, um, and that may not look the way it looked, you know, 15 years earlier, darn straight. You know, that's exactly right. 100%. We're going to wrap up show one because we have a lot more to talk about with Dr. Sharon Bober. Uh, She is director of the sexual health program at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute in Boston. And we're going to wrap up because we're going to go to a second show on this. So please uh, come back and and check out uh, number two. All right, Dr. Bober, thanks so much for being with us. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for listening to the Man Up to Cancer podcast. If you want to get behind our mission, you can connect with us, subscribe to our email list, and check out our other content at manuptocancer.com. And if you know a man struggling with the isolation that cancer can bring, let him know about us. The Wolfpack Doors are always open. Mm -hmm.